Well, good morning, uh, Redeemer family and friends. My name is Israel Martinez, and I have the great privilege of serving here at Redeemer Church as uh, the lead pastor and this opportunity to serve you and our great God. And so I'm thankful and excited. We are going to be in the book of Jonah today as we look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, in a sermon titled, uh, Angry Prayer. And it's actually Jonah's angry prayer. And so we are going to talk about anger. Anybody ever been angry here? Anybody? You guys. Not you guys. Not you guys. No way. Right? Um, I'm Puerto Rican. We're never angry. (laughs) I think we're born angry, right? Um, We're excited, which, you know. So uh, we all have anger, right? We've all been there. We've all struggled with that. May it be, you know, passive, quiet anger or the aggressive Puerto Rican anger, whatever it is. Or I would say like the West Texas kind of passive aggressive anger. That's uh, uh Uh, my context and my wife's family's context. Anger is real. But what is anger? Like, what is it? What's going on? Anger is an emotion. And we often associate anger with negative things, rightly so, because a lot of times that's why we go to anger, because we're sinning, like Jonah. But there is actually good anger. If you didn't know, the Bible says, be angry and don't sin. That is called righteous anger. And we as humans can have righteous anger at times and be angry and actually hold anger correctly. The problem is we don't do it very well. (laughs) But we can, right? Say someone hurts your family or a kid or an injustice happens. You can have righteous anger in that situation. You don't have to be like, oh, that's okay. That's great. No. Like you can be angry. The Bible says be angry and don't sin. That's the righteous anger. That's the the anger that God holds. That's why he uh, put that anger eventually on Christ. And so we can have anger, but as we look deeper into the book of Jonah, we're going to see that Jonah's anger was not righteous. So we're not talking about righteous anger today, okay? We're going to be real and talk about the bad anger, because that's usually where we go with the anger. And so think about your own angry, uh, your own anger. What makes you angry, right? What makes you tick? What do you hate? What gets on your last nerves? Is it a certain job? A place or a thing, and I, I, you know, is, is, is there an agenda that just riles you up or an ideology that you hate so much? Is it a place? Is it a culture? Is it a political party? I'm not just talking about our two political parties. There are political parties all over the world that are weird and do crazy things, right? Is it one of those? Is it a people group? Is it a person? What do you hate I think if we're honest, we can all relate with Jonah's angry prayer today. We've all struggled with anger, and this is where we find Jonah today in our text of Jonah 4, 1 through 4. So if you have your Bible, open up. We're going to be in Jonah 4, 1 through 4. And so I know that the story of Jonah can be overlooked a lot of times, um, but I, I really believe it can encourage us to be these transformed followers of Jesus who walk in repentance and belief as we see, as Jesus said, the sign of Jonah. He said, you're not going to get any other sign. We're going to read that towards the end, but you get the sign. We get the sign of Jonah to see the gospel. And so again, if you remember the book of Jonah, it's told like a story. It has seven episodes. You didn't know it was like a uh, Netflix at church, not really. But he has seven episodes. It moves in, in seven episodes, okay? And so today we're going to look at episode six 
of the story. And if you remember the past few weeks, we looked at the first episode, which is chapter 1, episode 1A, where we saw Jonah's commissioning in flight. And then we saw in the second episode, we saw Jonah and the pagan sailors in chapter 1, verses 4 through 16. And we learned this. We learned that God is sovereign. And so that we learned that his plans will come about. And in, in our plans, God actually directs our steps like he did to Jonah. And so he disciplines his children and offers salvation to all nations because he is actually compassionate. We're going to see some of this language today. And he has a plan for us today just like he did for Jonah. And so in episode 3C, which is all of chapter 2, we saw Jonah's grateful prayer. And we learned that Jonah's grateful prayer shows us the gospel of Jesus, this resurrection and this life. And it shows that Jesus and God, through the power of the Spirit and the Father, that, that God is this triune God who saves and is sovereign over everything. Life and death, specifically. Uh, death and burial and resurrection, as we saw in Jonah. So then we saw episode 4a in Jonah. We saw Jonah's recommissioning and compliance. And so we can compare, now start comparing and contrasting the episodes. So if you look at episode 4a, Jonah's recommissioning and compliance, we see that we can compare and contrast that to episode 1a of Jonah's commissioning and flight. Then we see episode 5b of Jonah and the pagan Ninevites, and we can compare this one to episode 2b of Jonah and the pagan sailors. The contrast is actually Jonah and the Jonah who's the Hebrew and contrasted with those who are not supposed to be uh, uh, believers, and that's the, contr the contrast there. So we learn in these episodes um, that, that God says as he is sovereign over all, and, and we learned this last week, that God is sovereign over all. That theme is going to ring throughout Jonah, but that God is consistent in his call and his message, the gospel, in his compassion and his character. And so today we are going to look at episode 60 of Jonah's angry prayer that, again, we can compare to Jonah's grateful prayer in chapter 2. He's really happy to be saved and resurrected. Again, we said Jonah, we believe he died and he was resurrected, and that's the gospel sign. And Jonah was happy about that, but we're going to see how quickly he gets angry. So in review, we've learned in Jonah that God saves us. He is sovereign over all. He's sovereign over our anger, and that is the first point today. You have to have this point in the book of Jonah or the whole thing doesn't make sense. And so that ties our main text to Jonah 4, 1 through 4 today in the fact that God is this sovereign king who was in control, especially over us and our anger, like he was over Jonah's anger. And so, y'all, we, we have to know that God saves us. He is sovereign over all, especially in our anger. And so God actually knows what's going in life. He knows everything. All the details in life, big and small, our happy thoughts, our good thoughts, our evil uh, anxious, lustful, sadness, anger, all these thoughts that we can get that, that are rooted in sin. God knows our story. God knows Jonah's story. And God knows how all the stories that have ever been told of every person, he knows how those stories will turn out. And so we must understand that God is sovereign, meaning that he is over everything, Again, this is super important to understand in Jonah. God is over everything, reigning over all. And we understand this doctrine, which we have to understand, that God is sovereign. He's reigning. He's brought this kingdom. He's over everything. And it's essential to understanding what we're talking about. Understanding that God is actually in control and that Satan is not. 
and the demons and your own flesh, your three enemies, are not in control. God is the one who gives us rest and peace. And God is actually over everything, even in those difficult and hard things that we can't understand. God is sovereign. The basic definition of sovereign, he's in control and you're not. You see, the book of Jonah is about this prophet who was going to the city to save a certain people who didn't deserve it. And you see, Jonah was disobedient initially, right? Because in his call, while knowing the truth about God, we're going to talk about that today, he knows the truth that God is slow to anger and compassionate to all people. Jonah still does not want to obey God. And he did not want God to save these Ninevites who he hated because they were evil people. They were actually very evil. They did horrible things that we would just be in shock of if we talked about. Horrible things. And so Jonah hated these people. And he was probably right to hate their sin, but not right to hate that God couldn't redeem them. That's what Jonah's hating. He's like, no, God, I don't want you to save these people. They're horrible. You not see what they did? They don't deserve you. And you see, the main theme for the book of Jonah is that, again, our sovereign God shows compassion and mercy to all. And so we're going to see in our text today, our outline is a little different. And that the three points are going to be a little negative and we're going to land on a positive kind of idea. But we're going to learn in Jonah's prayer in chapter 4, 1 through 4, that God is actually sovereign in our anger. But we, as humans, like Jonah, can justify our anger. That's the, that's the second point. First, God is sovereign. Then we learn that we, can just, we want to justify our anger. Three, we often want, like Jonah, to change God in our anger. And then four, often in our stubbornness, like Jonah... Um, we choose life or death over our anger. I mean, yeah, we choose life or death um, in, 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 because of our anger. But we are going to learn that God responds consistently and mercifully loving to our anger. So said shortly, we're going to learn that God responds and that God always responds the right way. And so let's read our text in Jonah 4, 1 through 4. Again, join with me in Jonah 4, 1 through 4. If you have a Bible, keep it open. We're people of the word. We want to be reading the text, helping your brain absorb what is going on in the story. And so let's read. Chapter 4, 1 through 4. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Initially, I was like, man... There's not, it doesn't seem like there's much to preach there, but there's a lot. And so, again, we're going to learn, first, that God is sovereign. Second, that like Jonah, we can try to justify our anger. We can want to change God in our anger. And often in our own stubbornness, um, because of our anger, we can choose death over life. But we're going to learn that God responds consistently, like we looked at last week, and mercifully to our anger. Or said shortly, we're going to learn that God responds and that God always responds the right way. And so our first point, again, was what we already talked about, that God saves as he is sovereign overall, especially in our anger. And so we move to our second point today that is, like Jonah, 
we can be angry at God. Second point, again, like Jonah, we can be angry at God. So let's look at verse 1, which says, But it displeased Jonah, like he was mad. He did not like it. Displeased sounds like a nice proper English word. But he was displeased. He hated it. And it says exceedingly, a lot, greatly. This word is used exceedingly or great, talking about Nineveh, talking about different things in Jonah. But he hated it exceedingly. They were a great city. That's kind of a similar idea. And he was also super duper, we could say, that's a good translation, super duper mad. Okay? It's a nice way to say it. He was angry. Again, have you been angry at God? What triggers your anger towards God? Maybe it's active anger at God. Like like maybe you're the person, I don't recommend this, that curses God and yells at him in anger. Maybe it's passive anger at God. Maybe you're like, man, I don't get mad at God. Not me. But you always complain about your life or your situations or you complain about other people's life and situations, right? Like Jonah does against the Ninevites. Both are very sinful, in case you're wondering. Both are sinful. So a question arises. A lot of people ask this. Should we be angry at God? Do we not have that right? We, we can think the simple answer is no. Okay, we're going to flesh that out. But the truth is that we actually get angry at God. If it's that direct active anger, shaking our fist at God, or for the, the kind of passive person that's like indirectly angry at God because you've been a Christian a long time, you're not supposed to get angry at God, so you, you get anxious and you blame other things, and you, have, you live in fear, or you try to control everything. When we, again, when we know in our heads, like Jonah, that God is actually sovereign in control, and we live in anxious and anxiety and fear and brokenness, But oftentimes, again, we live as if we were sovereign. Simply, we live or act as if we can be better at being God than God. That's scary, family and friends. We've all been there, if we're honest. (laughs) We've all been there. And so, again, even if you don't think you've been there, you've been there. And so, again, the question arises, should we be angry at God? The simple answer is no. But God is so gracious and merciful with humanity, with us, as our text shows us today that he is with Jonah. It says that God, he's a gracious God, and he's merciful, and he's slow to anger. He's not fast to anger. We wouldn't be here if he was fast to anger. God could just make us poof and go away. But he doesn't. He's abounding in the steadfast. Another good word for steadfast is patient love. And relenting from disaster like we learned last week. So we're going to talk more about God's character later. But we must know that our anger towards God is actually sinful. Some preachers and people will tell you, like, you can be angry at God and bump him in his chest and curse at him. I'm like, I wouldn't recommend that. Now, I'm not that now. We're going to talk about this, flesh it out a little more, okay? Our, our, our anger towards God is sinful. So, so let's be honest. And if you have anger toward God indirectly or directly, let's confess that. Confess that to your king. He knows. <laughs> we we're not supposed to be angry, but we get angry at God. Because when you are angry, again, God knows you're angry. So be honest to God of your anger. But more than that, before you come at God, just like when the Lord's prayer starts, we start with how awesome and wonderful and powerful you are. That's how we can come to God in our anger. He knows we're angry, but still worship him. Be respectful. Fear him. 
Jonah's like, I'm a God-fearer. And actually the pagan Ninevites are the ones that are the God-fearers. Be respectful to our God who is, who is gracious, who is merciful. Remember, mercy is not giving you what deserve. It's holding back the punishment. And he's gracious and he gives us salvation and he gives us life. He gives, like we sang, liberty or freedom. Liberty to be free in Christ and not chained to our sin is what we are. That's the liberty we have, not liberty to do whatever we want. Liberty to seek Christ in his kingdom. It's this God who is patient in love, steadfast in love, and relenting from disaster. And so I think our American version of parenting is what makes us cross the line of being greatly disrespectful to God in anger. Okay? As Americans, we're often told in TV or, or, or by school or by our friends that we're supposed to be rebellious to our parents. That's the American way, by the way, if you didn't know. I don't care what nation you're from. If you've been in America long enough, we're rebels. That's how we started. That's how the country started. I'm a veteran. I love our country. My dad was a veteran. I get it, okay? But, but our culture changes us. We don't realize it. All the movies and TV shows show these disrespectful kids cursing their parents, a living in rebellion and anger to their parents, and that's what, what shaped us a lot of times. Even if our parents from a different country, those things shaped us and changed us. And we often come to God like this sassy teenager who wants their way. But the Bible is clear that we are to worship God and trust that he is sovereign because honestly, when we are angry at God, we're saying, I don't trust you. I don't love you. I want my way. It's like Burger King. But the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with everything that you have. That's what it means to be a true God lover or God fearer. Like the pagan sailors who were in our story, in the Ninevites. You see, in many other cultures in the world, and even now, and historically, if you disrespect or are angry to your parents, there were consequences. In the Hebrew Bible, you could die. That was God's standard. There were severe consequences, maybe even death. So now, those cultures can be wrong and abusive with those kinds of standards. I'm not saying that. But just think how American we are when we handle our anger. When we, again, hand, handling our anger correctly with respect of parents or elders, other cultures can teach us something, that we can handle our anger correctly. We're still angry, but we can handle it correctly. And I think, um, again, I think that help, uh, that this helps us understand, like other cultures sometimes, how to respect God and, and, and to respect him uh, to come at him respectfully and not like Jonah does. Because again, as humans, we get angry. We're not supposed to be angry at God, but we get angry at God. That's the default. We especially show unrighteous anger to each other because loving people in our own strength is the hardest thing to do. And only through God can we love others. And so I wonder, instead of raising our fist to God and cursing at God when we're angry, we can learn and have respect for him when we don't understand. And instead of blaming someone else or being angry at them when you're really angry at God, own it. And maybe we should, again, love and fear and worship God in those moments of doubt and anger. You see, anger leads to hate. And anger at God leads to hate of God. And the number one thing Jesus said to do is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So instead of turning to hate 
Turn to worship of God when you feel angry. Turn to his sovereignty and your lack of knowledge. Love God by trusting his plan and not yours. That doesn't mean you sit on your hands like a bump in a log. The Bible says we make our plans and he directs our steps. We looked at that a few weeks ago. We're supposed to work and we're supposed to be godly and, and ambition. There's, there's ambition that's good ambition, not, not evil ambition. There's evil ambition. There's godly ambition. So we're supposed to work and do these things and, and, and progress for the kingdom of God. But I wonder, again, what would happen if we choose to fear and worship God in our anger? I mean, if we just cried out to God when you were super broken, just fall on your face and cry out to God on your knees in reverence with humility and just worshiped even in your anger. When you don't get it, I wonder how we would feel and how our situations would turn out how our lives would turn out. You see, we need to trust God because God responds consistently and he's mercifully um, um, loving to us in our anger. Again, said shortly, God always responds the right way. Sometimes the situation won't change, but God has responded the right way in that. And I've personally had great loss and turned to God and stumbled in doing this and he responded the right way, and he loved me, and he was who he said he was. He was consistent, y'all, and he disciplined me when I needed to be disciplined, but he did it for my good like a good father would, and I've seen people lose relationships. I've been there. People lose marriages, family members, and even little babies. That's one of the hardest ones for me personally. Again, we can't change the situations, but we can change how we respond through Christ. We can lament and cry out to God and worship and love God instead of being angry at God. Because oftentimes, we only worship God when things are going our way, if we're honest. And then, when there is turmoil, we break and we raise our fists to God in hate. But what if God was actually sovereign? What if God actually knew what he was doing all along in your life? What if the problems and the pains and the anxieties and the fears were actually God's way of shaping us and teaching us and showing us that he is there, he's present, and that he loves us and is showing us through our pain. And even in our sinful anger, not the righteous kind, the sinful kind, that like Jonah, that he is consistent and that we are not. It's a big theme in Jonah. You see, in 2020 America and mainline Western we, we see this, this mainline Western philosophy that has shaped us throughout the years. We've been taught that everything gets better. Yay, you're just going to get bigger and stronger and richer and all these things. Your life is going to be great. So your teachers told you, right, when you were a kid, you can be whatever you want. You can be president. Nope, there's only one president. They lied. As <laughs> one of your dreams is shot down. Because that's, that's the American way. We get better. We get bigger. We get stronger. We're always going to be amazing. The self-actualization, Jesus says the opposite. Jesus says when you lose your life, you find it. And when you, when you find, he says you, when you lose your life, you find it. And he says the, uh, the, the one who, who finds his life in the things of the world actually loses their life. The one who wastes their whole life self-actualizing and becoming a better version of me, that person is going straight to hell. That's not the way to live. Our culture tells us that's the way to live. That's not the way to live. 
Again, in, 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 in America, we're told this. In, however, in other countries, things are often cyclical. In Africa, in, in Asia, like they, they just know, yep, someone's like bad stuff's happening, a hurricane's coming, I'm going to be poor my whole life, things are going to happen. There's, there's this cyclical, and I'm not saying either one's better or worse. It's just a different perspective. On this, I think this kind of Eastern culture makes us think, oh, I'm not always the hero, and I don't always get better. It's usually about a community of people. Well, we get better, not just do I get better. And so, again, other cultures often know that they will be poor. They will be small. They won't be influential. They know that suffering is part of life. And they know that, that often um, they are often better prepared to deal with suffering and disappointment than us Americans. I've been overseas, and I've seen poor people. I've seen people bless me in their, in their poverty and in their just consistency of knowing, yeah, yep, I got rocked by this thing, hurricane, or I don't have a job. I, don't even, I can't even progress. I met this one uh, young Chinese uh, man who was like, yep, I'm just stuck in my village, and I can only be a teacher in this village, and that's my life. And I'm a Christian, so I'm going to be faithful in that. We have a lot of freedom, right? We don't, that's not our story here. And so, guys, People, and we can know that, that there, is hard, there are hard things in life. There is disappointment. But oftentimes, again, these people know that they're going to live in misery. And, and, again, they have their own sin issues and their other issues to worry about that come with, with those kinds of things. But I'm talking to us about Americans, uh, us as Americans, and really us as humans. Because the point is our American culture has lost how to suffer well. We were never taught how to suffer well or face disappointment well. Some of our, you know, people that came before us, they did. They did suffer. And then we're now, you know, how many generations away from that? We've got the super Walmarts and all this stuff and restaurants at our fingertips. And then we want to raise our fist at God because our, our life isn't going our way. It's just so American, right? We don't know how to suffer. But that's why God gave us his word. We get angry and throw a fit if we don't get the snack we want, right? At, at McDonald's, I wanted this shake, not that shake. That's me, okay? I, want, like, I told the guy, come on, figure it out. I wanted, my daughter's laughing like, I got that shake, I wanted this. We get mad, give me my snack, right? We get mad if we don't get the job we want or the house we want or the career we want. We break down and raise our fists to God, and we oftentimes have no clue to the sufferings that others are facing right now, like persecution in other countries for being a Christian and problems that people have faced in the past and even the recent past. And I think like God, we have, like, like Jonah, um, we have been spoiled. Jonah had God with him and in control of his life, but Jonah wanted his own vision for his life and not God's. We have so many physical, material blessings, and instead of being thankful, our discontent hearts just want more and get angry at God or blame someone or we blame God. And we as Americans have been spoiled in knowing, again, in, in not knowing how to suffer because we have so much literally stuff and things. And the things that we think are blessings come at us and curse us sometimes. I'm thankful for it. I'm not, I'm not saying, Lord, I take it away. But don't worship it. Don't let it control you. 
Don't let your destiny of being the next great thing that your teacher told you when you were five still be, or the Disney movie you watched, still be controlling the narrative of your life. Like, that's sinful. It's wrong. You may die. You may suffer. You may end up in jail for the gospel. That may be our lot. I don't know. And, and, and again, it, it may be this, that we want stuff more than we want God. And we want these idealistic fantasies or these visions for our lives. For our lives. And God is like, forget the stuff. Forget the other vision. Seek me first, and I will give you the life that I have planned for you so that you love me and not anything else. That's what God is doing in your life. Friends and family, I say this hopefully humbly and, and, and loving you. We need to be people of suffering. This is what Jonah didn't learn. This is hard. It's so hard because um, the, the scriptures say that we're supposed to rejoice in suffering, not rejoice because of the suffering, not rejoice in the suffering, like that the suffering is great. We're not like, yay, punch me in the face. Like nobody, that's dumb, okay? That's just not smart. Nobody does that. No one says, I want to be hot and just burn and die. Nobody says that. You know, people that, are, that, are, that know the Lord and are walking well, you don't want suffering, okay? Even people will commit suicide to get out of suffering, right? They hurt themselves to get out of what they think is bigger pain. So the, the, the point is we don't ask for suffering. We don't say, bring it on. We're, we're, that's not what the Bible's saying. But we rejoice when we're in it. That's what this whole thing is talking about, to worship and love God and not be angry at him when things come. Now, this is talking about righteous suffering here, First Peter. He says, I'm going to read it just to, again, this is not what, jo Jonah's brought about his own suffering because of his sin. We talked about that last week or a few weeks ago. That's his own consequences because of his own sin. But I want to encourage you guys in this. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as long to live uh, for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for your human passions, but for the will of God. Suffering should bring us to not live for human passions, but for the will of God. Do you see the beauty of trusting God in his suffering, of suffering I mean, in his, sorry, in his sovereignty as you're suffering? A few verses later, Peter says this in, verse, in uh, verses 12 and 16. He says, Beloved, my children, the ones who I love, don't be surprised. Again, he says, don't be surprised. This is what happens to Christians. At the fiery trial, when it comes upon you to test you, God disciplines us. He tests us in that sense. As though something strange were happening to you. He says, but rejoice. He says, don't rejoice in the sufferings like we talked. But he says, insofar, rejoice, not in your own suffering like Jonah, but when your suffering is being a Christian. He says, rejoice. Share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory of God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer this is, what, this is where the application comes for us today in Jonah. Don't suffer like Jonah is what he's saying. Uh, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler, gossiper. The mouth gets us in trouble, James says. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So then the Bible is clear. Suffering will come to the believer. It's part of the journey. But in suffering, we are to rejoice or worship or love God. This is what Jonah has not learned. And I think the story ends, and, and we'll look at it next week, but I, I, I hope he learns this. I think he does. 
Y'all, this doesn't mean we can't be sad or that we can't lament. No, the Bible, there's, there's a whole book called Lamentations where Jeremiah is being, the city's being destroyed. He's really suffering. He's like in a barrel, I think, and he's like crying out, God, save us, because Babylon is coming in. So I think lamenting is, is actually a better response. That's what we're supposed to do when we're angry at God and don't understand, to lament. What does that mean? Lament means that we are in pain and that in our pain, we are crying, like, I think, in our soul and begging God to comfort us. In our anger and in our other sin, in our pain and our disappointment, we're lamenting. We don't use that word in modern English a lot. I mean, it's like this, your soul is going to feel depressed and sad and broken. But in that, that pain, God gives you an opportunity to worship, to depend on him. That's what Jonah should be doing here. And so in our sadness and our temptation to lash out at God and be angry, we can actually cry out and worship him as we rejoice in who he is and in his sovereign promises. And that through Christ and the Holy Spirit, we know that we can have fellowship with the Father, knowing that suffering is not eternal, but our King, he's actually eternal. And he will come again. Remember, Jonah had not suffered righteously. Jonah was suffering in his soul, and he had suffered discipline because of his initial disobedience, and he was still angry at God. He's the one who disobeyed God. Again, his suffering was his fault. And we do this sometimes in our pain. We tell, you know, we are in pain and and we're blaming God, but the suffering is our fault. Again, there's a righteous suffering and then there's our sinful suffering. There's consequences for the things that we do. And so another problem, our third point today, and we're going to move through these points a little faster, is that like Jonah, we try to justify ourselves to God. Look at verse 2. Now all that for verse 1. Look at this for verse 2. The text kind of moves faster here. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Jonah's saying, Lord, I knew you were awesome. That's why I sinned and, and went away. He was sinful in that. So again, our third point helps us to understand that like Jonah, we try to justify ourselves to God. And so how do you justify your decisions and thoughts and actions? Maybe you try justifying them by hating that person because you think your political view or maybe your education is better. I don't know. Maybe you think your culture is better or that those people are just lazy or they work too hard. They're chasing something. And I wish they would just either not work like me or I wish they were ambitious and they worked hard like me. Maybe you think judgmentally and justify your sins like Jonah. We've all been there. You see, oftentimes we, like Jonah, just try to justify our sin to God. And here Jonah seems to have a good spin on his justification. He's like, they're horrible, they're evil, they're monsters, God. Don't save them. And, and, and again, Jonah knows God. He knows. He's like, God, I know you are good. I know you actually have good characteristics. I know you're awesome. But don't save them. Let them die. Let them burn. That's how we are, honestly. I think COVID in the last few years have shown our true hearts. The whole world. We hate each other. That's our default. There's no one who is good. No, not one. And so this leads us to the, 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 the problem we found in our fourth point, that like Jonah, we can, know that God's, we can know God's good characteristics, 
and still want to change him or manipulate him for our own evil desires. That's scary. That sounds like a horror movie. And that's what we do. Look at the rest of verse 2. It says, for I knew, Jonah says, I knew that you are a gracious God, that you are merciful, slow to anger, that, that he's patient and abounding and steadfast or like patient, consistent love. And I knew that you relent from disaster. Remember, God doesn't change the way we do. He still has emotions. He's impassable in, in the sense that he doesn't change the way we do. He's consistent. And from our perspective, it seems like he changes, but he relents from disaster because that was part of the plan the whole time. So we learned last week, Jonah wants his version of God rather than the real God. But God is patient. And the capacity, God has the capacity to accept or to tolerate trouble. That's what patient means. God is patient. But what is patient? It's this capacity, again, to accept or tolerate, or delay trouble or suffering. This comes from the Latin, the Latin root of the word um, patience is suffering. How many times have we wanted a genie God instead of the real God? When patience, the definition is the capacity to accept or tolerate um, trouble or suffering without getting angry or upset. That's what patience is. That's what God is. And how many times, again, have we wanted God to fill up our desires and our fantasies and dreams? That actually sounds like the prince of the air who does that. That's what Satan does. He promised, remember when he tempted Jesus? He's like, I'll give you everything. I'll make you rich and famous on earth. That's what Satan does. He wants you to think you're going to be a better. Or he wants you to be a, a lazy person that does nothing. And uses, and uses drugs and just stays at home and does nothing. These are extremes. Or he wants you to be the super ambitious person or something in between. He doesn't want you to know Christ and abide in him and love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because in, 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 in the Bible talks about life being vain. The Bible talks about good ambition, bad ambition. ambition. So there's, there's, there's good and bad. God wants you to abide in him. When you, every moment of every day, you're walking in him and you're depending on him. Wherein some people might see like, man, that guy's lazy. They're not, they're not working. They don't have enough money in their bank account. And your responsibility is not to them, it's to God. Your parents might be like, get a job, do this. And you're like, I'm, I'm trusting in the Lord in this situation. Or they might be like, get off your duff and go do something, you know. Or they might be the opposite, like, you're working too hard. You're, 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 you're doing all that. And so, guys, life is hard. Our goal is to honor the king. God is consistent when we're not consistent. God is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in patience, steadfast love, and he relents from disaster. He is consistent like we learned last week. And sometimes he has to bring disaster or hard things of display, uh, hard things that he brings for us to learn and see his glory. Remember 1 Samuel 15, 29 says, God, uh, says of God, and also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret. He says he doesn't lie and change his mind, for he is not a man that should have regret or change his mind. But we see in the same chapter in our text that God does relent or have sorrow over decisions that he's actually sovereign over. This is the, the mystery of God. He doesn't have emotions like we do. He has perfect emotions. This shows that God is gracious and he's merciful and he's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love and he's relenting from disaster as Jonah has described. You see, there's this fallacy in human thought. The fallacy is that humanity deserves God, that you're good enough. That's what our teachers told us. That's what our parents said. My kid's a good kid. They're not a bad kid. And, and there's some general truth to that. I say that about my kids. But I'm talking about the deep spiritual uh, 
uh, truths that are there that we don't even realize. Again, we think we deserve God's blessing or grace or mercy, or we think other people don't, like Jonah. We think God owes us heaven, or that God doesn't owe those people heaven. But no humans are owed heaven, and no humans are owed God. We are all a sinful mess, and that is why God has shown us our sin. He shows us our wicked hearts so we can see how gracious and merciful and wonderful he is. God would be righteous in letting us all die. Let that sink in. I don't know what, where you come from, what background you come from, what church background. The Bible says we would be, that God would be right. He would be just if we all died. But he's slow to anger, righteous anger. Jonah has the bad anger. God has righteous anger. And God is merciful and he's patient. That's why he's saving some of us. We don't deserve this. Jonah actually, theologically, he's, he's kind of right. The Ninevites don't deserve God, but God is gracious, right? His theology is right, but his heart is wrong because <laughs> his heart is not God's heart. God is patient and gracious and says that he is slow to anger and he will save. God will be righteous because he will save humanity. God doesn't owe us anything, but he wants his children Those who would come to know him, he wants us to know him and to see him as the true God, who is this loving father who sent his son to redeem us because God is really great and he's gracious and he's merciful. And again, we are all owed hell for our sin, not heaven and not God. We are owed punishment for our sin, but our God is passionate and gracious and merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He's so good. He's tender with us like he is with Jonah. And even, again, Jonah knows that God's character is good, but he keeps pouting away like, he keeps pouting like a little child because he didn't get his way. Look at the, our last point today, our fifth point, and we have one more landing kind of application. Like Jonah, we can choose death over life in our stubbornness. Look at verse 3. It says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah wants to die rather than have God save people. He's wrong in this. This is evil, and he's being stubborn, and he's just described God accurately, but he would rather die personally than have God cover the Ninevites with his, with his atoning mercy and grace. And I get it. There's some wicked people out there. There's people that have done disgusting things and things that should make you angry. But then we have to trust God and say, God can save who he wants. He says, the first will be last. I think we're going to be surprised when we get to heaven. It's like the thief on the cross made it. That dude made it. That pastor, that person that we thought was super holy, they didn't make it. I don't know. God is sovereign. But we, again, sometimes choose life over death in our stubbornness. Jonah wants his version of God rather than the real God. And how many times have we wanted this genie God? How many times have we wanted to be in control? And how many times have we rather stay in our stubbornness than have God change us? You see, no matter what, God always responds the right way. This is how we're going to land the plane. God responds. God always responds the right way. And so our final point today shows us that, that God responds consistently to Jonah. And God responds consistently to us. Listen to how God responds consistently and mercifully loving to Jonah. In verse 4, he says, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? That sounds kind of British. Like, do you do well to be angry? It's like, doesn't, I, I, my brain doesn't understand it. So 
I think God, in translation, my translation, hey, God's saying, how's that anger working out for you, Jonah? How's that anger treating you? How's that anger working out for you? Do you do well to do, do you do well to be angry? You see, our final point shows us that like God responds consistently to Jonah, God responds consistently to us. God has given us this gospel sign of Jonah, and he's given us this response. The sign of Jonah is Matthew 12, 38, 41. Where, he, where we see the, the scribes and the Pharisees are trying to deceive Jesus. And, and, and um, Jesus answered, I mean, they said, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. They wanted a sign. They wanted a miracle. But Jesus answered them and said, An, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. But no sign or no, no extra miracle, no magic. Not that, yeah, I'm not going to give that to you. Jesus says, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. It's a sign. It's a miracle. Why is Jonah a miracle? Remember, Jonah, I believe Jonah actually died. Look at the language in chapter 2. And God resurrected him. It's a sign for the gospel. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of Nineveh. And the men of Nineveh will rise up. It means the people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something that greater than Jonah is here. Do you know this Messiah who is greater than Jonah? You see, God's plan was Jesus in his gospel. And the book of Jonah in our text today shows us God's response for humanity was the gospel. Do you see the sign of Jonah in his gospel? Does it compel you to love God does it compel you to, to know this, this proclamation, this good news story, the call of God to all nations, this gospel where Christ came and created and made everything good, and then there was a fall, and God allowed it. He was sovereign and allowed this brokenness to come and enter the world, and there was this chasm between us and him, which demanded a sacrifice in Christ Jesus, who lived this perfect life. He was the only one who could all, hold all these emotions, and, and, and he humbled himself. And then the anger that Jonah has, there's some righteous anger there, but Jonah twists it to sin. God has perfect anger, and God put all that anger on Christ for us so that we could know him. And there was this, this sacrifice, his redemption, which was needed. And so Jesus was our redeemer. He became that sacrifice to appease the wrath or the anger of God in his death so that his chosen, his elect, his children could be redeemed and we would be delivered and saved by his atonement, this covering for our sin and his death and his burial and his resurrection, his ascension. And now we have a response. God has responded. He's told us what to do, to walk in repentance and belief in him, to turn away from Satan's kingdom and to turn to Christ's kingdom in belief and faith. Same word in the original language, by the power of the Holy Spirit who he's left. And he said, I'm coming again, guys. I promise I'm coming again. We trust in his sovereignty that the story is not complete in the sense Christ will come again. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. He's going to renew the whole world. He's promised to do it. He's going to make us his new children. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled, for this is only temporary, the suffering and the pain. But he's going to bring about a glorious future where we will reign with him, and he will judge the world. He will judge the Ninevites. He will judge those people that, we, that do the, the evil things that we hate. But he will be the judge. We are not the judge. He's the one who brings vengeance. We're supposed to be faithful here on earth. He's going to usher in righteousness and peace. And so I want to end here. I know that we're going a little long, but how, like God asked Jonah, I want to ask us, how's that anger working out for you?
How's that anger treating you? Do you realize that when you doubt God, you're not trusting him? Do you realize in your anger at God that, that you actually may be manifesting uh, it in different ways? You may actually have this anger, you don't realize it. You may think, I'm not angry at God, but let me give us again some qualifiers to end. To have us think a quick little test to help you see if you're angry at God. Okay? Do you complain a lot? Do you blame other people a lot? Do you want your way a lot? Do you live a sacrificial life or a selfish life? How much of your time is spent with other people that you are loving like Jesus? How much of your time is trying to control your plan instead of trusting God in his plan? The remedy to our anger is this trust, this faith, this belief in God's sovereignty. It's worshiping and rejoicing in the suffering and pain. Again, the remedy, remedy to our anger, which brings anxiety, is worshiping and crying out to our holy God. And so we learn that God is sovereign in our anger, that we can try to justify our anger. We can want God to change in our anger. And often in our stubbornness over our anger, we choose death over life like Jonah. But take comfort in this, y'all. God responds consistently and mercifully loving to our anger. So remember that. God responds, and God always responds the right way. So believe in him. Be encouraged. We're going to respond now in communion and be encouraged in his gospel message and trust his ways over your ways. Let's worship now. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord. I know, Lord, this is a hard text. It's a hard lesson to learn, and I, I sense like Jonah, I think he learned it, Lord. We, we see the book doesn't really tell us, but... You've given us this story, this sign, this gospel sign to learn. And so I, I pray that we come to you humbly and learn, no matter where we are. Lord, if we were angry at you this morning, if we're angry at you right now, if we're like, I'm not angry at you, but I still want to worship you, and I don't want to go there. I, I want to be honest with you, God. I want to I confess my sin. I want to be broken. Um, but, Lord, in that, Lord, I, we need you to comfort us now, no matter where we are, no matter where we've been. So let's respond by singing Psalm 145. Lord, as we sing this and as we learn, let's respond in taking communion, what people have done for years, breaking the bread, coming to you in repentance and belief. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.